A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18plusbegambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello you stay-at-home hipsters, the Bundesliga is back, but is it right to follow the Germans? Uh, The Premier League meets this Friday to vote on Project Restart amidst EFL court threats, club dock concerns and peculiar PFA proposals. If you've just skipped on from Troy Deeney's upfront documentary, what an honest account of his life. Uh, More of that on the way with former Newcastle and Portsmouth forward Lamana Loire-Loire as he takes his first steps into coaching, including what life was like as a teammate of the great Alan Shearer. All I was doing just staring at Shearer. One day we was training, I was doing skills. And then he turned around and said, oh my God, this boy is a magician. Also this week, Wolverhampton Wanderers midfielder Leander Dendonker on Belgium's Euro chances and EFL CEO on the state of the lower leagues. Ian Danter is back with his latest managerial meltdowns. And we announce our new love, our new German team, as we get ready to shout, ha ho hee, all on the podcast that got up at 4am to find the racing in Australia. This is Game Day from TalkSport. This is Game Day. Hello to one and all. Alex Crook, TalkSports Transfer and News Guru is with us. Hello, how are you? I'm good. I actually have been uh, watching all kinds of weird and wacky horse races from around the globe. Ah. I've done particularly well in America. Yeah, you've been uh, you've been following a, a certain tipster, haven't you? And you've been uh, not shy in coming forward in our little group about telling us how much uh, you've won. Sort of, I think at least two or three quid. I think you've picked up over the course <laughs> of the last four days. Well done. Every to you. little helps. <laughs> um, we did the quiz double over Deeney and uh, Michael Ricketts, didn't we? Uh, this week, uh, for those of you that don't know this, uh, Troy Deeney has been playing the Matterface quiz on Friday nights. And he decided that he wanted to take a team of talk sports stars on uh, with his quiz, um, his quiz team, which includes the former England and Bolton forward Michael Ricketts. We beat them the first time. It wasn't too hard. He wanted a rematch. We gave him a rematch. He wanted more general knowledge questions because it was too footbally the first time. We gave him general knowledge. Crikey. We're football men, but we thrashed them on the movie poster round. We thrashed them on whose ground is it anyway. You name it, we won it. It was a glorious victory. And we were really classy as well in victory. <laughs> yeah, when you were reeling off at the end the number of points that we were going to beat them by. Yeah, that was really, uh, really classy. Yeah. Do, do you think you want another rematch? You know, yeah. Is this going to go on and on? I think so, until he wins one. He's a competitive sportsman. There's no way he's going to let us go 3-0. and Surely. Surely he can't. Surely a man of his talent, his competitive juices flowing in this time. His only, his only real fix of competitive sport is playing me and you on a Monday night. 
He, he leads a very sheltered life. Yeah, so do we. <laughs> uh, by the way, his documentary was brilliant uh, over the uh, last couple of days. I hope you heard it. If you haven't heard it, it's on this game day feed, and there are a lot more upfront documentaries on the way. Uh, former England and Newcastle star Sir Les Ferdinand, Sir Les, is on next week. Uh, Brighton star Glenn Murray coming soon as well, and you'll see them pop up on this feed. So hit subscribe, and you'll get a notification every time one drops. Alternatively, Tuesday night, 7 o'clock, talk sport. Right, let's get to the top stories. A group of Premier League club doctors have collated a list of questions for the league to answer ahead of a possible restart to the division. However, the UK Foreign Secretary Dominic Raab said this week he felt the Premier League returning in June would lift the spirits of the nation. Elsewhere in Parliament this week, it has been revealed that just football, cricket and rugby union alone could lose £700 million as a result of the coronavirus crisis. PFA Chief Executive Gordon Taylor has been heavily criticised after he suggested we could see shortened halves of football. Uh, EFL Chairman Rick Parry also warned the Premier League to expect legal action if they scrap relegation. And the England and Scotland squad have dug deep into their pockets to make generous donations to the NHS. Uh, we should probably touch on the rumours that Leroy Sane has agreed to join Bayern Munich on a five-year deal. I wonder how Manchester City will feel about that. Uh, to me, it looks a little bit like a move that was going to go through before he was injured, Crook. Um, rehab's gone well now, he's off ski, which is a shame because he's a talented player and he was great to have in the league. But I think Pep will miss him as much as the PFA are going to miss Gordon Taylor, to be honest. Yeah, it's been a strange couple of seasons, isn't it? Because he was the, the shock emission from the German World Cup squad. They had a nightmare and um, I think Joachim Löw probably live to regret that decision. And as you say, it doesn't really seem to be Pep Guardiola's cup of tea anyway. I guess that was inevitable, but the big one for Manchester City, given this uh, impending UEFA suspension, is whether or not they can keep Kevin De Bruyne. I think that will be much more of a concern for Pep. Yep, uh, it'd be 31 if um, the two-year ban is uh, upheld and be 31 by the time they play Champions League football again which I'm sure is not really on his agenda Uh, we've spoken a lot on this podcast about the financial fallout of clubs of all sizes from COVID-19 this week the EFL chairman Rick Parry laid it bare in no uncertain terms by telling the Digital Culture Media and Sport Committee that football faces a 200 million black hole by September that's just in the EFL itself Uh, Parry also said he knows a number of clubs that are racking up big financial liabilities during the lockdown Boris Johnson's number two Dominic Raab responded to Parry's grim warning by saying at the government's daily coronavirus briefing on Tuesday that the return of the Premier League would lift the nation. Of course, one of the things that Parry also said, Crook, was that the money from the Premier League or, or any sort of hope that there'd be a rescue package from the Premier League that would filter down into the EFL would not be forthcoming. In fact, they wouldn't even have talks until the Premier League knew what it was doing itself and, and therefore the idea of a government-backed restart would probably buoy the EFL as much as it does the Premier League clubs. Yeah, and that makes sense, actually, because I know we've been quite vocal on this podcast asking why so many big clubs, you know, you, you look at Arsenal in particular, are already struggling when actually we're only a few weeks into this lockdown. But uh, speaking to Portsmouth Chief Executive Mark Catlin, who we're going to hear from later, and he made the point at their level that Clubs don't just rely on, on ticket sales for revenue. It's, it's the subsidiaries that come with that in terms of people buying burgers and match day programs and spending money in the club shop. Now, if you go up to Manchester where you are and Manchester United, that club shop on a match day, you have to queue around the block to get in. Yeah. I, I dread to think 
the revenue that generates. And listen, they have got the television money and, you know, Manchester United are one of the biggest clubs in the world, but that is still a significant blow in terms of revenue. And I completely understand why the Premier League can't make any commitments to the EFL until they've got their own house in order. I think it's also worth pointing out again, you know, if you run your business badly, you are going to have bigger problems than those who are a bit more prudent. And you can have a go at at owners for not spending money as much as you like. But ultimately, football has got itself into a real knot that it pays far too much of its money to the players. It's not a franchise organisation. It is there to make money. And ultimately, you're giving too much in wages away to players that across the board. And I think when Rick Parry sits in front of the committee on Tuesday morning, I think it was, and says, we need a reset, I think he's talking about the amount of money that football pays to its key footballers. Should we talk about Germany? Um, I know that uh, Bundesliga and and uh, the team that we're going to follow is, is going to come up later in the pod. But oh yes, it, it, it does seem now that we are as a nation going to be taking our lead from Germany in terms of football resuming. Yep, they've been given the go ahead. Um, I think it's going to be May the twenty fifth. Is it that play can restart after a two week quarantine period? Maybe even earlier than that. Yeah, maybe even May the eighteenth. Um, so it's going to be really interesting. I mean. I, I, I'm slightly surprised they're pressing ahead, given that already, what is it, 10 players have been diagnosed with the coronavirus. Yeah, but that's out, out of... Clubs return to training. That's out of 1,700 tests. So they took 1,700 tests and 10 players have tested positive. So I'm, I'm not suggesting for any moment that, oh, that's okay then, um, by any stretch, because it's a, a very scary disease. However, however... If you look at the, the the number of tests that have been done, compare it to the number of positive tests, it shows you how how limited it is in that football environment. Yeah, and listen, we all hope and pray that it's a massive success, don't we? I mean, uh, Solomon Kalou didn't do anybody any favours with some of the social media videos oh, we'll that he posted. Him. We'll get to him. <laughs> um, but if, if it works in Germany, if, if football can resume in a safe environment, and nobody else gets affected. If fans stay away from the grounds, I know that's a big concern over there as well as it is here. Mm. And really that lays down the blueprint for the Premier League. Um, the idea of relegation being scrapped is utterly ridiculous. Did, 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 is that another one from Gordon Taylor? <laughs> I mean, come on. Well, is- the, the reports I've read and, you know, from uh, journalists like John Cross, who've been all over this story from the start, it was the bottom six clubs who were saying, OK, well, we'll, we'll play in neutral venues if you scrap relegation. Well, and it- I sort of get their point. I mean, I, I think I heard Laura Woods on breakfast this morning saying that Aston Villa have taken 71% of their points at home. So right. and? It, it is going to be a problem. Well, they're but- not playing away either, are they? No, they're not. Um, but that, and even if you are playing at home, the fact you haven't got any fans there, surely that takes away that sort of twelfth man advantage everyone. anyway. And the idea of relegation being scrapped is absolute nonsense, isn't it? It's, it's yeah. self-preservation again, isn't it? Is. But it's, it's a non-starter. We'll, we'll vote for it if you get rid of relegation. That's basically saying that we're not actually that concerned about the health and safety of, of our employees and our people. What we're more concerned about is is that we don't end up losing 150 million quid, which is not the way. It should, even if that's not the case, and I know from talking to people in those clubs that, that isn't the case. But that's how it will look to the general public. Yeah. It's all about perception, isn't it? There isn't a perfect scenario. I think trying to play out the season without having to write it off altogether is the best way and the fairest way for everybody. 
We should be a little over a month away from the start of Euro 2020 and no doubt that we would all now be buying the replica shirts of one of our adopted countries or getting involved with some sort of memorabilia, some England shirt from 1982. is usually my favourite, sort of go back to the 80s and buy an England jersey. Uh, we'd also be making sure the beer fridge was suitably stocked. I think we've done that anyway. <laughs> I saw your wine delivery that you put on social media this week. I thought you'd bought Unwins. <laughs> well, listen, you just got to make sure, haven't you? We don't know when the pubs are going to reopen. I'm leaving nothing to chance. Well, quite clearly. Um, or or n- leaving anything for anybody else by the looks of <laughs> um, alas, we'll have to wait another year for that feeling of uh, tournament frenzy. Although ITV are about to start rerunning Euro 96 in full from Monday, which is brilliant news. Uh, one of the favourites for the championships would have been Belgium. And we spoke to the Wolves midfielder, Leander Dendonker, about their hopes of glory in 2021 and the pressure of being the country's golden generation. I don't think a lot will change. Obviously, everyone will, will be one year older than than this year so in that point of view it might have been better that that it would be this year but we have some older players but they are not really really old either so so I don't think one year will change a lot yeah so we, we will have to see after how we deal with it and we will have to prepare again next year I think um, obviously we've been third at the World Cup so yeah there's, there's quite a lot of not really pressure but people are expecting quite a lot from this generation and from this team. I think um, it's quite rare for a country as Belgium to have such a good such a good football team. So we'll have to try and to to make the to do the best uh, we can uh, next year. It, just when you're listening to him there, you do realize just how many good players Belgium have got. I mean, we've already talked about Kevin De Bruyne today, uh, Romelu Lukaku is, is very effective for them, Edin Hazard, of course, that the list is endless. I think they would be disappointed that they didn't get to the final um, of the World Cup. Uh, and I think they would have been one of the favourites for the Euros, as we said. Still not quite convinced they have that winning mentality that will get them over the line. But I mean, he's saying there that it could be a negative that the players are a year older by the time the tournament comes around. It, it could be a positive in some ways because they'll be more mature and, and maybe more able to deal with it, the heavy expectation on their shoulders. They certainly all buy into the Roberto Martinez uh, philosophy. I uh, sat down with him in Romania back in November and he was very positive about his squad's chances at this summer's tournament. He's very well thought of there. He's just signed a new two-year extension to his contract. Bearing in mind, he signed a new contract just before the World Cup as well. Certainly a project that they have bought into. Um, And as you say, they've got a plethora of talent. I mean, the idea uh, that they're going to be a year older obviously has an impact. But for someone like Edin Hazard, who has spent much of the season on the sidelines, really, and hasn't really settled perfectly in at Real Madrid, it might be a good thing that he is back to full fitness and, and, and in the swing of things by the time that Euro 2021 comes around. They'll certainly be up there as contenders. I mean, just a, a brief look through the squad tells you that they're going to certainly be challenging for the title. Newcastle have been uh, at the centre of one of the non-COVID-19 stories filling the papers over the last couple of weeks with their big money Saudi takeover inching ever closer. 
That's right, and it's time to hear from a former member of the Toon Army. Somersaulting striker Lamana Lualua was part of the team in their halcyon days of competing in the Champions League, no less. He also played under some of the big-name managers over the course of Premier League history, including Sir Bobby Robson, Harry Redknapp... And Alan Perrin. <laughs> whoever that is. Uh, so when Crook and I caught up with him earlier this week, we asked which of those bosses left the biggest impression. I've never really said this to people, but... Sir Bobby gave me three videos of people to watch. He gave me Ronaldo, phenomenal. He gave me Pele and Maradona. So he wanted me to study them. I've never been taught football. Football is something that I watch my dad and I just start playing it. So I, I didn't have enough time in a youth team or like the young kids that started like dream. I never, football never was a dream of mine. I wanted to be a gymnast. So when I went to... Newcastle say Bobby giving me these free videos. I could never understood why, you know, until later on. And while I was watching this, studying it, I realized that those people was really unbelievable talent, gifted, skillful players. But it was boring. I, I was finding them boring. Why? Because they wasn't doing skills all the time. <laughs> so it's like I'm looking at these people that can do anything with the ball, but they're not they're not dribbling all the time. Don't don't, I grew up, you know, a lot of people used to say to me, why you never score so much goals? I grew up in an era that goals wasn't excitement for me. It's dribbling, making someone look stupid. And that's that's all, that's the football I used to love. You know, I used to like be able to dribble past someone and wait for him to come back again so you can go again. So that was my excitement because I always saw myself as an entertainment. So when I went and I started studying these tapes and I realized, well, these people are really gifted, but it came to a point when I say pass, it's like they was hearing me, but I'm watching them on on on, on video. You understand? So, so I used to go to I used to go to uh, uh, the manager Gaffer Bobby. I used to say, but these people are boring, man. They they don't do skills all the time, and they they all the time like passing and just keeping it simple. And that's when he started telling me, you, and this is the the things that really touched me for him to say that because. Reason why I wanted I went to Newcastle because I knew he trained Ronaldo, he trained the skillful players. So he said to me, "You see these people, you have the same quality. You're gifted as them. You're technical. You're technically as you know, like them, but they don't dribble all the time. So they they pass when they have to pass, and they dribble when they have to. And one time he took me in the ground and said to me, "Give pass me the ball and run." So we made like one two. And he said, that's a skill. He said, that, that's something that you need to learn. You can't run quicker than a ball. No matter how quick you are, you cannot run faster than a football. So you have to learn to pass and when to dribble. And that's when I started learning. You know, obviously in Newcastle, I didn't learn it as much. But when I went to Portsmouth, I started realising so all, all the things that, you know, Sir Bobby was saying to me start coming into my head. And later on in life, I started realising, OK, this is what the gaffer wanted me to do. Harry was unbelievable. Probably the best manager, him and Ian Holloway, probably the best manager I play for because they, they, they let me express myself. They just said, go and play football. I mean, there was times when Harry used to say to me, go and win us a game. Just like that. <laughs> this guy is crazy. Just go and win it. But he had so much belief in me. He made me believe every time I was on a, 
on the pitch, I was better than anyone else. A lot of people say that about Harry's man management, don't they? More from Lamana Loire Loire a little bit later on, including his views on the potential new Newcastle owners. But now, it's time for this. Yes, for the past couple of podcasts, we have been touting the idea of us adopting a German team to support to coincide with the eagerly awaited return of the Bundesliga. We knew they'd be first. Uh, last week, we heard from Lars Pullman, who made a very convincing case on behalf of Borussia Dortmund. But Crook, he wasn't having any of it because they beat Manchester United once upon a time when he was about 15. Uh, so we put it out to a vote on Twitter, didn't we? Uh, of all the clubs that we'd sort of selected, although you tried to stitch us up by putting RB Leipzig in, which I weren't too happy about. <laughs> they nearly won. Uh, no, that's right. We did put it to vote on Twitter. And I have to say, the voting was really tight, actually. So cheers to everybody who got involved in that. Or should I say Prost? Uh, is that cheers in German? It is, and our guests clearly appreciated it. Oh, that's good. Uh, so the, 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 you better get back to the vote and tell us who won. I am. I'm frantically... You oh, here a we go. I'm going through your Twitter feed <laughs> to try and find the vote. OK, let's get the drum roll. Here we are. So, out of the four clubs, Werder Bremen, RB Leipzig, Union Berlin and Hertha Berlin, who has been announced as the Game Day podcast's new Bundesliga team, we are now totally devoted to... Hertha Berlin. Hertha Berlin, yes. And I'm delighted to say that Anna Dragovic... Oh, I knew I was going to get it wrong. Uh, Anna, say it for me. Dragicevic. I'm delighted to say that Anna Dragicevic... Anna Dragicevic... Anna Dragicevic... Oh, God, I'm going to get there eventually. You say it for me. Dragicevic. There you go. That's what I was supposed to be good at pronouncing names. Um, he's a lover of football, general chatterbox, and, of course, a star of Copper 90's fabulous documentary on football in Berlin. Hello and welcome to the podcast. How do we say it? Ha-ho-hey! Ha-ho-hey! Yes, we're there. We're with you. Um, so we are now Hertha Berlin supporters. Um, what do you make of our choice? best one in the world <laughs> you chose well i mean considering we're in the news right now um yeah you chose quite well <laughs> when you say in the news right now i mean mainly because salomon kalu has been rather um disruptive with his social media presence um, he's he's almost sort of almost put the idea of the return of the bundesliga um in jeopardy yeah i've met salah and he's a wonderful person and um I don't think it was anywhere near intentional. I don't think he meant to do that at all. Sometimes I, in crisis like this, you just let your mind slip. He's apologised for it. He knows he did wrong. Everyone else knows he did wrong. Um, but it also raises questions of, as to why this has happened and whether it's actually something that's happening in other Bundesliga clubs, not just ours, uh, because I think it's inevitable that it has happened in other clubs, considering that there's been 10 infections across 36 professional clubs in the last week. Mm. It sort of suggests, not that they definitely haven't been following the rules, but it sort of suggests that maybe that we're not the only club that's got this issue. And that the, the club's been very, very um, sort of loud and decisive on the action that they took 
because as it's seen in the news, he's now been suspended. But it's it's bad for him. I feel sorry for him because I don't think he did it on... No way did he do it on purpose. Um, tell us... Um, let's talk about the, the club itself and, and what we need to know as new supporters of Hertha Berlin, right? Uh, what are the top three non-football things we need to know? I mean, where do we meet? Where, where do we go for a, for a pint beforehand? Is there a certain place we all congregate? Uh, is there a certain thing we have to wear? Is there a song that I need <laughs> to know? All these things, because, you know, ultimately, eventually, one day, when we're allowed to get closer than two metres to other people, we will be yeah. there. The Ostkurva. The Ostkurva. My, my second home, yes. Um, non-football things. I mean, it's not just, oh, I'm going to go to the game, watch it and come out. It's that, oh, the whole day is basically football day like uh, there's a lots of around the olympia stadium there's loads of different little like pop-up bars loads of places to drink outside the s-bahn station places to get your your currywurst and just enjoy good chat with people and you'll find people that don't speak german you'll find english people or spanish people and they want to watch football so they've come along to berlin for the day because it's relatively easy to get tickets because we've got such a big stadium we like that we like that i've actually been there um, Are you in? Yay! Yeah, and, and not just any game, by the way. It was uh, the end of the 2012-2013 season. Oh, God. Was that the season we... That won wasn't promotion. the season we went down, was it? No, it was the season you won promotion. Back up to the oh, Bundesliga. Okay, no, hey, hey, season... first of all, there's two things here. First of all, it's the season we won promotion, Crook. <laughs> okay. We won, right. yes. Okay. And, and, and the second thing is, is, is you don't actually remember this. Because you were, <laughs> were on a you stag do yeah. and you thought you were watching Union Berlin. That, that is true, so I apologise that. What I do remember, though, and you can clear this up, unless I was really drunk, that your fans, our fans, Ow. seem yeah. to enjoy a particular song by the Pet Shop Boys. Is that right? There's a, <laughs> there's, so there's, there's a song to, no, there's a song so to the drunk. tune of Go West. Ole! That's the most famous song I've related to Hertha. Well, so, you have to sing it. You have to sing it now. It, it, oh, my God. I'm not singing it for you, man. What, oh, what is it? I need my scarf. <laughs> it's, it's ironic because that song is obviously to the tune of sailing. So I don't know how much you know about the history of Hertha. It's, about, it's, it's named after a boat. It is named after a boat. So, like in 1892, so in uh, that was the year that they were created. Two sets of brothers want to create a club. Boat comes down the river. It's blue and white smokestack. They're like, okay, it's named Hertha. Name the club Hertha, which is what they did. Ironically, the club's badge is also at the ship's flag. Yeah. But the, the, the tune to "Sailing" by Rod Stewart is kind of an irony because sailing, boat, ship, you know. So, yeah. But the, the obviously the words are in German. So um, the the song is "Nuna Hause, Nuna Hause, Nuna Hause, Gewinnicht." There you go. That's oh, the song. we're gonna love this. <laughs> we are gonna love Which, this. Do you want a translation? Because because <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. I, I, I know that the, all the best chance don't. Yeah, yeah. Then we don't need the translation. It's fine. We, we just we, we're quite happy to try and learn as we go along here. It's fine. It's good. Oh, oh, uh, oh, um, I so, miss it now. You're making me miss it. So, so, so who are who are our heroes? Who are our cult heroes right now? Who are we who, who who should we be looking out for? Who are our best players? Well, we haven't been very good this season. <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to go down, um, are we? Well, it depends if the oh, if the season on. does restart. We we have a new coach. We're on. We've had four coaches this season. This is the fourth one. Yeah. Well. Um, but a star player right now, uh, it has to be Matthias Cunha. 
We okay. signed him in the winter from uh, RB Leipzig, and he's a star, like complete star. He's fast. He's skilled. He scored against Dusseldorf. He scored against Bremen and Paderborn. He scored, although the Paderborn one was saying it was an own goal, which it wasn't. But he's really, really amazing. Like he's a fantastic. Like we signed Christoph Piontek from uh, AC Milan in the winter as well. So he was pretty expensive. He scored once. He's having a bit of a, a sort of like a dry spell of no goals. I think it's because we had so many coaches over the last few months. Yeah. So I watched the documentary uh, that you were in uh, about uh, football in Berlin and, and the number of different clubs that are in Berlin. It's a massive footballing hotbed, or even though it has had a, a very successful team over over its uh, mm-hmm. its lifetime. But that's okay. That's fine. We don't we, we don't want to be glory hunters. We want to be we want to be on the fringes of success. That is why I chose Hertha. Yeah. <laughs> um, listen, it's been great talking to you. Thank you very much for the education. Uh, we're we're looking forward to the, when we can come to Berlin and, and enjoy it. We, we in the meantime we will we'll start purchasing merchandise and following closely <laughs> what happens with our new great team Hertha BSC Hertha Berliner Sport Club du bist der Liebe meines meines Katzen. we are sailing I am sailing home again cross the sea one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes nice dress uh, it's a it's a t-shirt until you tried it on same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Apart from the occasional Zoom call with one isolating star or another, contact between reporters and Premier League managers has been thin on the ground since social distancing was introduced. So every week, the Game Day podcast aims to take you back to those pre-two-metre-rule days when we got a chance to regularly spar with some of the biggest names, thanks to our top impersonator, Ian Danter. Hello, how are you, Dance? You OK? Yes, good, thanks, Sam. How are you, Alex? All right? I'm good, yeah, not bad. That, that that beard is coming on, isn't it? I mean, you're, you're not just an impressionist now. You could be a Santa Claus impersonator. Steady. You wait till you're my age, pal, and that beard of yours starts getting the odd grey in it. To I'll be, be straight on you then, to, let me tell you. To be honest with you, right now, Ian, we're just hoping that we get to your age, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, okay. Uh, right, um, what have you got for us this week? Well, 
the sacred dressing room is a place where we rarely see a meltdown. But of course, on the occasions where cameras have been allowed access to players' dressing rooms, half-time and full-time, we've seen some stuff. In, in, the, in the modern era, it's probably not, it's a bit more sanitised. You think of the Manchester City documentary. I don't know, they, it, it, some of that seemed a little reserved, as though you Staged. Know, something being held back. You certainly couldn't accuse that of the two individuals that I'm looking at in terms of Messrs Neil Warnock and John Sitton. John Sitton's is the most famous example of a possibly of a dressing room ramp where he took over at bottom of the table, then late Norian. Uh, half time in one game against Brentford at Griffin Park, where they're 3 0 down, he decides to sack one of his players on the spot. <laughs> and uh, the other clip I've, I've, I've recreated is one when Neil Warnock, at the end of a Sheffield United season oh, this is uh, in the championship, uh, they've just lost to Wolves on the final day. And he's given it to, um, I think it's Chris Morgan and uh, Phil Jagielka. Yeah. Uh, well, it's about marking from a corner, but then it just, he goes into this rant about what's going to happen next, mm. uh, come next season. So um, get your bleep machine ready. Uh, this is going to be bleep heavy with Messrs Warnock and Sitton. I'm wasting my breath on some of you. I'm wasting my breath on some of you. What do I say to you about good players? They want to be good players all the time. Don't you know how profound that is if you're not examining the f***ing words? Because you've had two good performances and you think, I'm f***ing Bertie Big tonight, I'll f***ing play how I like. But you won't play how you like, because if you play how you like, I'll f***ing stick the youth team in. Because if I'm going to take abuse from a bunch of cockroaches behind me, I'll take abuse by doing it my way. And that is f***ing conformity, not f***ing non-conformity. And if you come back at me, we'll have a right f***ing sort out in here. All right, and you can pair up if you like. F***ing hell, some of you. You blame everything. Blame me, blame pitch, ref, system, tactics. You want to have a look at your f***ing selves, some of you. Look in the mirror. Because there's some of you lot that could have done f***ing better and we should have been up there. I'd die for you lot. We won't be a soft touch next year I know that much I love that that Warnock rant I absolutely love it it's one of those um, iconic moments it's one of those um, fly on the wall documentaries that that I think at the time probably went under the radar but if mm-hmm. that yeah. was released now that would be absolutely like viral it would be the Sunderland Till I Die of of the 19 I suppose it was what was it 1990s or was it no it was 2000 yeah, yeah. Well, uh, but, um, there are so many great examples. I could have, I could have gone to a Barry Fry documentary when he was at Peterborough. Yeah, and even going back to my old favourite Graham Taylor, that documentary. Do I not like that? There's dressing room stuff in there where uh, he's, you know, what we must not do against Norway is lose to them, <laughs> and they go and lose to Norway. <laughs> well, John Sittens, I think, is the ultimate. Yeah, uh, because that's so utterly terrifying. We've all we've all had our fair share of of pastings from managers, though, haven't we? I mean, I, I've I, I must admit I can't get out of my head my first ever absolute tearing apart. Um, Gordon Strachan, Coventry City manager, the day they get relegated at Aston Villa, they're two 0 up in the game, they lose three two, they go down, um, and I was nineteen at the time, and I'd been sent up by Capital Gold London to come and cover the game. And I walked into the press conference and I tried to grab him afterwards and I said, oh, you know, could you just tell us what you 
what it feels like to to be relegated or to see Coventry go down after all these years. And he went, I'm not talking about that. Yeah, he refused to talk about relegation, didn't he, on the day they got relegated. <laughs> and I said, what? He went, yeah, I'm not talking about that. What I want to talk about is how we threw away a two-goal lead. That's all I want to talk about. I went, well, obviously there's some supporters that are quite disappointed about the fact that they've been relegated to the second tier for the first time in, I think it was 24 years or something. I can't remember exactly the exact date. Uh, and he went, well, you come to my office. He went, Who are you with? Blah, blah, blah. You come to my office tomorrow morning. Get there at nine o'clock and I'll tell you exactly why we've, we've gone down. And I'm happy to talk about relegation for as long as you like. But right now, all I want to talk about is this. And seeing as I'm the one who's in charge of the interview, I'll decide what I want to talk about. Anyway, I'd never been in that situation before. His acid tongue literally stripped the skin off my bones. It was unbelievable. Hey, listen, I've, I've met him subsequently. We get on very, very well. He's a lovely, lovely man. Uh, he's, he's, he's cracking to be around. But on that particular day, he skinned me alive. And I was like cowering wreck in the corner. Like, I don't, I don't know what to do. I did get a, about half a second's worth of audio. That was about it. <laughs> Neil Warnock was mine, actually. It's interesting uh, the, the dancers taken him on this week because um, it was at the Dell. That's how long ago it was. Uh, Southampton against Sheffield United. I've got a feeling it was an FA Cup tie. Sheffield United lost and there was a controversial red card and he was bleating on about the referee, which doesn't sound very Neil Warnock-like, obviously. <laughs> um, and I piped up in this packed press conference and said, uh, you know, have you spoken to the ref? And he looked at me and he said, uh, you're just a naive young man. <laughs> Your impressions Bang. aren't I, as good as it is. I, I wilted away. <laughs> oh, dear. You also well, got, I remember, I remember uh, you getting a paste in from Harry Redknapp once. Over a story that was true, yeah. Yeah, but you got a paste in. I stood me ground on that one. You didn't. You sat in the corner and took it and then just came back the next day. And all of us, the rest of us, the press pack, all just edged away from him slowly as if to say, he's not with us. We don't even know who he is. I had a moment with um, somebody that's been part of the TalkSport family in recent times, Ian Holloway. Oh, yeah. When, When Blackpool had that one season in the Premier League, they went to Aston Villa and I was there for TalkSport. I think it was a Monday night game. And... He'd made 10 changes. I think only the goalkeeper, Michael Jilks, had kept his place. Mm. Who else had been switched? And not long before that, Wolves had done something similar going to Manchester United. Alex, you might remember that as a Man U fan. Yeah, Mick McCarthy got in trouble with the FA for that, didn't he? But fine. So yeah. Blackpool lost that game. And uh, I got a one-on-one with Ian Holloway. Uh, and I said to him, you know, Mick McCarthy was fine so much uh, for what happened with I didn't even get to the end of the question <laughs> it's got nothing to do with Wolves you're talking out your hat because I had a, a, a beanie hat on hey. New York Yankees logo on it or something schoolboy era you're talking out your hat and you got one on I'd say you're talking out your ass but that would be disrespectful to donkeys <laughs> <laughs> what a put down and, and uh, he just he's given me that for well verbally for a good 30 seconds and it well, you, you just have to I'm sure my eyes widened my skin reddened and my life flashed before my eyes but and of course since then as you, as you say with, with Gordon Ollie and I have met we've done commentaries together and he's, he's terrific company but 
just shows you don't want to get on the wrong side of something. But it's also worth pointing out some of it is distraction techniques to take the pressure off. Some of it's to sort of divert a bit of attention. Yeah. And some of it's just because the pressure is so great that they just can't control themselves after a match. Sometimes they're just they're very stressed about what, what has or hasn't happened during a football match. Uh, Dance, we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Dance has got a podcast where he does tons of characters. Ian Danter's Barmy Old Podcast out every single Monday. Okay, let's get back to our interview with Lamano Loire Loire. We spoke to the former Newcastle and Portsmouth forward about how his big move from Colchester United to Newcastle came about. I always knew, Alex, I'm not going to lie, because I always knew in Colchester I was a passenger. Basically, I wasn't even going to Newcastle. I was going to Tottenham. I actually, on my way to Tottenham, to sign for Tottenham, because Tottenham was a, it's a team that I support. I was excited going to Tottenham and then suddenly Mick Wadsworth called me while we was in a car on my way to Tottenham tell, telling me, no, 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 you're coming to Newcastle now. And knowing that, him saying that, oh, yes, Sir Bobby, you know, like I said, Sir Bobby was trained in Ronaldo. I was really excited. Uh, but it seems like we, it seems like the roads will just keep going and going and we never stop because that was my <laughs> first time to go up north. So, so I was like... Where are we going, man? So are we going to Africa? Or am I going back to to Africa? But it took me a while to actually believe that uh, you know I deserve to play in the Premier League. I remember being in a canteen, and you know after training we're eating. I couldn't eat. All I was doing just staring at Shearer. Actually, it was him that one day was training. I was doing skills, and then he turned around and said, "Oh my God, this boy is a magician." That's when I realised, oh, I deserve to be rubbing shoulders with these people. I was playing football in a park uh, in London, Forest Gate Park, Wanstead flat. So I, I literally a year and a half I was in Colchester. Then suddenly, boom, Newcastle, Premier League. For me, it was unbelievable. A boy that never been taught football, never went to, and then I'm sitting next to Alan Shearer, Gary Speed, rest in peace. Rob Lee, Warren Barton, staring at Shearer all the time, Gary Speed all the time. Only when, you know, you get a, a legend like, you know, Shearer saying, oh, this boy's a magician, this boy's a bowler, then you realise, wow, you know, uh, these people say my name. And, and he, he was a great man. He, was always, he always had time for youngsters. Obviously, there's a lot of talk about Newcastle and their future and what's going to happen going forward with them. They've very much... Uh, been out of the the spotlight over the course of the last few years. I mean, you joined them when they were challenging for cups yeah. and and leagues, yeah. or just after yeah. that. Do you do, yeah. do you think with the investment that they've got, they'll be able to build something special with this Saudi Arabian takeover? I really hope so. I really really hope so. Newcastle is a culture like it's the whole place, the whole city. Every week you have fifty thousand. That's mm. how much they love the club. Being a city itself. Like, even sometimes we was playing, you're tired. I was tired, but the fans gave you that extra energy. And the football we was playing, we had so much flair. The way Sir Bobby had the team, it's like, it was unbelievable. Obviously, we had, you know, a big, big out there to finish all the action. Playing in a team that was entertaining the fans. Even though sometimes we didn't win all the time, but they say when you lose, lose with dignity, you know, like giving everything. And... And, and that's what the fans want. It's not about 
obviously it would be great for the fans to win something. That would be like for me, like meeting Jesus. It would be so excited. You cannot believe the city will go crazy. They just need to get back in that football again. Okay, any other business? Let's have a look at uh, what else has been doing the rounds. Um, I mean, I suppose the the idea of um, Premier League players choosing not to play in games if Project Restart gets the go-ahead. I mean, is that a possibility? I know that Dean Smith has spoken about He's got a couple of people that um, play on his team that might not be able to come back for health reasons because they might live with vulnerable people or have health issues of their own. He hasn't said who they are, but maybe two players might not be in the Aston Villa squad. Would be Dean Smith, wouldn't it? If any Premier League manager is going to be left even more downtrodden than the rest, then he's the ideal candidate. Um, that's that's a little bit harsh, that, isn't it? (laughs) I haven't spoken to um, any player who has publicly or privately expressed a desire not to play. I'm sure there are concerns. Um, well, Manuel Lanzini said it would be crazy to play before a vaccine has been developed. Sergio Aguero said he would be fearful about going back. I know there's players from the nations of France and, 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 and Holland in particular who feel as if they've got pressure from their families asking them questions. Why are you going back? Why is there a possibility that the Premier League will be restarted when leagues in their own countries have been cancelled? It takes a bit of explaining for them to do so. I'm sure there'll be a little bit of nervousness, and, I, and quite rightly so. This is a horrid, horrid virus. I guess that makes sense, actually, because the majority of the players that I've interviewed over the last few weeks have been English players. Um, and, of course, at the moment, the, the plan here very much has been that Football needs to resume at some point, whereas, as you say, families reading in their own countries that the season's been voided, it, that probably would be difficult yeah. to understand. The Roy Hodgson situation is interesting, isn't it? I was reading an interview from Steve Parrish, who's been quite vocal, actually, over the past week or so. I thought his um, take, actually, on the, the resumption of the Premier League was excellent. It was a very well-argued case. Yeah, well, and Adrian Durham certainly has been banging that drum on, on Twitter, so he, he agrees with you. But, I mean, he actually said in one of the papers, Steve Parrish, that Roy Hodgson would, quote, risk his life um, by taking charge if football resumes because, because of course he is the oldest manager in the Premier League he's the oldest manager ever to have taken charge of a Premier League team and therefore he's in that high risk category of being over 70 yeah although I suppose again he is also a very fit and able 70 plus year old as a result of that I'm sure he is willing to put himself forward although Again, you know, lots of discussions about who would be responsible if someone were to contract the virus and then subsequently have a, a serious issue. Um, Patrice Everett has uh, been talking about the possibility of uh, Manchester United at one stage re-signing Ronaldo and bringing Gareth Bowle in, uh, but it broke down because Fergie retired. Yeah, basically Patrice Everett's claimed that Fergie told him the year before he eventually retired that he was 99% certain he could not only re-sign Ronaldo, but get Gareth Bale as well. £160 million fee was reported in the article that I read. But basically, when it became clear that Ferguson was to retire at the end of the season, then um, that deal went cold. I mean, can you imagine? That, I mean, that was Ronaldo at the peak of his powers. Gareth Bale, obviously, a few years younger than he is now. That would have been some team that Fergie left behind. Instead, he uh, went off into the wilderness, leaving behind Smalling and Jones. Cheers, boss. <laughs> I can't believe that Ronaldo and Bale didn't want to play for David Moyes. 
Oh, I can. <laughs> right, let's get on to uh, Mark Catlin, who's been talking about the EFL. Um, he's been reacting to Rick Parry's comments uh, in front of the DCMS uh, Select Committee uh, this week. He's been talking about the finances of League One and League Two clubs, Crook. The Premiership and all the resources that they've got at their disposal, both financially and operationally, playing at neutral venues, having the best doctors on hand, continuous testing, separating players, putting them in a sterile environment. Financially, they, they can make that work. Championships probably got half a chance of replicating the Premier League. But look at where League 2, League 1 are and players at that level are worth no less as human beings as Premiership level. So I'm assuming that's the bar that's going to be set in the Premier League and everyone's going to have to attain that bar for games to go ahead. And personally, I think that we're so way off of that. I, I can't see that happening in League One, League Two. I love Mark. I think he's great. He's articulate. I think he talks a lot of sense and you can completely understand where he's coming from there. As he says, League One and League Two players, while they're not worth as much in monetary terms, on a human level, they need to be treated exactly the same. So if you're saying to a Premier League player, you can go back to playing behind closed doors. It has to be at neutral venues. We need rigorous health checks. You need to be in isolation um, so that you can't pass on this disease or, or pick it up from anybody else. Then you have to do the same for clubs in League One and League Two. And Mark's absolutely right. When you break it down, that isn't financially viable. And actually, is there anything to gain from a club like Portsmouth playing games behind closed doors other than the fact that they might be able to win promotion because they get 18,000 people through the door on a weekly basis. They spend money in the club shop and buying burgers, as I was talking about Manchester United earlier they're going to be operating at a loss, a lot of those teams, if they have to put on matches behind closed doors. Well, I, I think that the whole structure of the way football will go forward will have to change. And like you said, there's quite a high degree of possibility that there will not be any supporters in grounds for a very long time to come. I mean, I think the FA chairman wrote to, to clubs up and down the country this week so suggesting that there might not be any supporters in grounds until the end of the 2021 season. That's a very long time, by the way. Uh, that's wow. over a year. And if that is the case, then the League One and League Two clubs in particular are going to really struggle to not only make ends meet, but to operate. They're not, it's going to be very, very hard. I think we'll, we'll try and delve into the, the details of football's finances and how we manage it going forward in a little bit more detail next week. Um, what are you doing this week? Got any plans for VE Day, by the way? Uh, do you know what? I'm trying to source a... Uh home delivered cream tea um as a bit of a surprise for the wife so i better not play this podcast to her i thought it'd be quite a romantic gesture you know nice sandwiches and scones and a bit of afternoon tea fresh jam yeah one supermarket are offering the service but i can't get a slot so i might have to go out and make my own sandwiches and scones imagine that are you really doing this for the missus or is this just for you I've got I do like an afternoon you, yeah. tea. I was going to say, I'm de- you're, you, you, you strike me as a scone boy. Um, yeah, okay, well, that's great. I've, ju- I've just ordered a Union Jack bow tie. Hopefully it's here in time for the quiz on Friday night. Oh, we love your bow ties on a Friday night, don't we? You do. Uh, right, thank you very much. Um, thank you to all our guests as well. Appreciate it. Ian Danter doing his great impressions. Jim Proudfoot for commentary confinement. Uh, and to Anna for, for allowing us into the world of Hertha Berlin. Ha, ho, hey! Um, and uh, everybody else besides. Thank you very much to uh, Crook. I'll see you uh, for the quiz on Friday night, 8 o'clock on the TalkSport Twitter feed and on Saturday for the Saturday sessions. Uh, remember, if you uh, want to have a look at our Upfront series, uh, the uh, Troy Deeney, Dimitar Berbatov and Gary Lineker up 
Front documentaries are all on this feed. We'll see you next week. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.